All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Can you see it? Did you know Checked, but the puck comes right to Pedersen, who tries a bank pass for Besser. In with a shot, he scores! A moment's notice. It arms Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Money, 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 money. <laughs> Oh yeah, folks, that's right. You know what that music means. Harmon Dial is on this episode. Hello, Canucks fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Canucks Conversation, brought to you by the great folks at Zephyr Epic. You can use promo code Hockey Season, capital H, capital S, all one word. That will get you $5 off your order at ZephyrEpic.com, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic. On all platforms, they ship free anywhere in Canada on any order over $50. So go check them out, ZephyrEpic.com. On all platforms, you can check them out, Z-E-P-H-Y-R, Epic. We're also delivered to you by the great folks at DoorDash. Use promo code CONVODD, capital C, capital D's, all one word. That will get you 25% off and free delivery on your first order with the DoorDash app. Does not get much better than that, folks. My name is David Guadrelli. Chris Faber is still away. Uh, Faber, our thoughts are still with you, buddy. We're very excited for you to uh, eventually return, but obviously we want Faber to take his time. Uh, as if you haven't heard already, he mourns the sudden passing of his stepmother, Nikki. So Faber, our thoughts are with you and your entire family. My name is Dave Quadrelli. I'm joined, as always, on Fridays, but today on a Wednesday, Harmon Dial. Harmon, how are you today? I'm doing well, just cashing in these big Canucks combo <laughs> checks. You you guys are funding my uh, my Vegas uh, my my Vegas gambling. Yeah, do you have any Vegas stories for us? Because you were away last Friday. Um, but do you have any Vegas stories for us? Yeah, so I mean, actually, I should clarify, I don't gamble at all. So I, I hope people don't take that seriously. But Vegas, I'm trying to think. Oh well, I mean, the first the night before, so I had a flight where I had to wake up at four o'clock to get there. It was a seven a.m. flight for the Monday. And so the night before, I could not fall asleep at all. So I oh, pulled no. off an all-nighter the first day uh, in uh, in Vegas. And I don't know how I... Well, I, I kind of do know how I made it out alive. It's because I'm 21 and can <laughs> I'm still in that phase where uh, the university all-nighters 
are aren't too distant of a memory so uh powered through that just fine and then uh i mean i don't think anything crazy happened i mean i didn't get my hotel broken into like in new york or run into dave Chappelle or chris rock or anything so it was uh pretty tame by those uh by by that lofty bar but had a couple friends coincidentally come down uh at the same time so that was uh that was cool and then i basically just in Arizona, my goodness, it was like 35, 36 degrees. I stepped outside for like five minutes to try and walk to ASU's campus to grab a bite to eat. And I was legitimately dying in in the heat. So um, I uh, I mean, nothing nothing too crazy on, on this trip. Were you packed well for the heat? Like, like what do you do when you look? Because the only place I've traveled for work is Edmonton. And that's the only road trip I'm going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, I bought... I, I brought my sunglasses. I, I brought my uh, swimming shorts. I basically just spent the entire... <laughs> I spent so much time at the pool. That's and awesome. just, like, did so much of my work uh, there. And so, yeah. I mean, I brought t-shirts and things like that. But I... Oh, I screwed up. I did not bring a hat. Oh, that's, that's I was, a miss. I was legitimately dying again on that walk. And and I thought it was like a 10-minute walk to ASU because I was like, oh, that's the closest place at, by my hotel in Tempe that'll have um, food to eat. And then it, and it ended up being closer to a half an hour. So I was legitimately just like taking two-minute breaks on the walk because um, it was I legitimately could not find shade. And it's like 36, 37. <laughs> I'm like sweating just stepping outside. So... Uh, I sh- I shouldn't complain though. I can't I can't complain. Yeah. Meanwhile, uh, there's like every weather event happened on like Tuesday here in Vancouver. You were here for that. Yeah. So, so. <laughs> nice little uh, bring bring you back to reality uh, when you got back to Vancouver. But yeah, I'm going to Edmonton. Not looking forward to it. If I'm being honest with you, like it wasn't. It, it won't be as bad. Actually, I shouldn't say that. I'm going going to an Oilers game with all of the all of our friends from uh, Nation Network at Oilers Nation, and I don't really like know what to wear because i haven't been to a game as a fan in years like it's been like oh yeah you know i if i i've been to one canucks game since i started like writing and i just wore a regular shirt and i think i wore like a padres hat which is what i'm wearing right now as we talk but i don't really know what to wear to the oilers game like i'm not gonna wear an oilers jersey and i'm i'm not gonna wear a canucks jersey obviously so Maybe I'll wear like a Fernando Tatis jersey or something. Just like bring, that. just bring a poster with goaltending tips for Miko Koskinen. <laughs> I think that's what he'll need. That Edmonton will love you. Just, just, just go out there with like, I, I don't even know any of your a goaltending shirt. terminology. Just make a shirt, make a poster, and just make sure you're close enough to where Edmonton can see you. And then, and then, and then there you go. My poster integration will be off the charts. All right, that that uh, that's a good place to end it. That uh, bad joke. All right, Canucks doing just enough to make it interesting. Harmon, I guess your overall thoughts on the Tuesday evening game against the Vegas Golden Knights, where the Canucks obviously get two points, not in regulation. That's the big story of the night. They get it in overtime. Just your overall thoughts on the game. We've kind of you know listed down who we want to talk about, and obviously we're going to talk about Elias Pettersson. We're going to talk about Quinn Hughes scoring that OT winner, and a little bit more on him as well. Obviously, Pod Coles and that that sort of thing. Strong games from all three of those guys. Just your overall thoughts on the Tuesday evening game. Yeah, it was the sort of game that I expected to see a lot more often from the Canucks this season, where you look at the back end and you look at the depth and you say, all right, yeah, there are holes in this roster and they may not be able to play a complete 60-minute effort and control the flow of play 5-on-5 five five against a team that's uh, as all-in as Vegas is. But they have enough ingredients to where if certain parts are clicking, it doesn't matter. And that's where you saw the top offensive weapons take over. And I think that's where we looked at the club's top nine group heading into the season, and we thought that was going to be a decisive difference maker. We saw the power play which has been red hot, one of the hottest in the NHL over the last month, couple months. Uh, That was a huge difference maker. That was the game right there. The Canucks scored twice and Vegas was blanked all three times. And and the Golden Knights have now gone 18 straight power plays without scoring. And that's where I I made the joke, the the Michael Scott, how how the turntables... (laughs) Uh, but you think back to the Canucks' first 25 games, it's a complete 180 where that sort of game, through the first 25 games, the Canucks were 
controlling five on five play just fine. They were sort of holding their own and they weren't getting really outshot or outchanced. They were playing pretty decently, but they'd lose by one or two goals because their penalty kill was legitimately awful and their power play couldn't get going at all. And now you kind of had the opposite against Vegas where the Golden Knights had strong pushes, but the Canucks' special teams were were just a special trump card. And you had enough special performances from individual players at the top end of your roster. Like Vancouver's Vancouver's best players were just better, sort of better than Vegas's best players. And then you also tack on the final ingredient, uh, arguably the most important one was Thatcher Demko. You wouldn't expect it in a 5-4 game, but uh, he was phenomenal. And even for Vegas's first two goals, how they had to beat him, you're talking about a fluke bounce off of Alec Martinez. And then Michael Amadio's second goal was a double deflection. It went off Horvat's stick and then went off of Amadio and then bounced uh, and then hit the rink and then um, hopped in. And it's like, that's what it took to beat Thatcher Demko uh, the, uh, the last night. And I'm still in awe at that. Um, I don't know if you remember the sequence where Dadnoff had the puck and he goes back door to Eichel. Yep. And no one expected when that pass was made, I'm like, Oh, that's a sure goal. And Demko somehow came across and still made that save. It's so again, I just look back at that game and I'm like, elite goaltending, elite power play, top offensive weapons come through. Like I expected, um, and, and yet it obviously comes with the caveat that they struggled five on five overall. That's the sort of game that I expected more of in terms of it's it was flawed, it wasn't complete, it wasn't pretty. But it got the job done, and it was wildly entertaining. That's the sort of game I thought we'd see a lot more of from the Canucks this season. And obviously, it couldn't have come at a better time because their playoff hopes were uh, are kind of hanging on a thread. So uh, great timing for them to be able to pull through. And you mentioned the power play. Canucks now have the ninth best power play in the league. Their percentage is above 22%. You mentioned how inefficient they were in those first 25 games and how we've seen a complete 180 a lot of people, when the power play was struggling, would look at Jason King and they would put the blame on him, similar to how Newell Brown was the scapegoat last year and obviously Newell lost his job because of the power play's inefficiency. What do you attribute this 180 to? That's a good question. I think part of it is they're obviously finishing a lot better. I think the main thing is the Horvat playing the bumpers working again. Yeah, That, to me, when you look at the 2019-20 season and that, and the, and that Canucks power play, was one of the best in the NHL. It was always Horvat that sort of scored the most goals. And it's not because he's the most most important piece on that. It's because what tends to happen is when penalty kills are respecting Pedersen's one-timer and what he can do from the half wall, you kind of have to not necessarily, I don't know if cheat is the right word, but you're a little bit, you're, you're hugging yourself a little bit closer to Pedersen on the flank and that leaves more space, obviously, in the middle. And that's where JT Miller, when he's playing at his best, is just, he's the quarterback. He is the straw that stirs the drink. He's, he is the one that is making all the decisions of where to distribute the puck, what player we weren't running, reacting to what the penalty kill is giving them. And I think he has really stepped up uh, a ton there. And Horvath's he ends up being the beneficiary and that's where you obviously need his lethal finishing ability. And you saw there when Miller makes a great play for the tic-tac-toe and, and you have Horvat earlier in the season, I think that sort of sequence might've been one where Horvat bobbles the puck or doesn't get the best one timer off. And if you look early in the season, they weren't able to get Horvat as many looks Horvat's shot rate was down. And I think this is the point I was making through the first 25 games was Penalty because I've just studied Vancouver's power play and we talked about that's the only look they're going to in terms of feeding Horvat in the bumper and it was getting stale. And I think as the last stretch of games have kind of happened, they've also like we've seen Pedersen reemerge, right? And he's become such a more dangerous, th- dangerous threat too. And the Canucks have just just have multiple threats now again. And that's what I think is so important. And you talk about multiple threats. The one point I wanted to bring up about Alex Chason, by the way, and why we've seen such a difference in his effectiveness, his effectiveness on the power play is he's understanding the role on that unit a lot better. And what I mean by that is early in the season, he would he would never kick out as a playmaking threat or as a passing option or 
all all he would do is stand in front of the goalie and look for the look for the screen, look for the tip, look for the rebound. And that can work on certain power play units, but Vancouver's has always worked where because they want to feed Horvat on the bumper or 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 for whatever scenario if you're chase on in that spot, you need to know when you're supposed to be screening the goalie and looking for that tip versus when you need to be kicking out as a passing option. And you look at that Horvat goal, chase on deserves a ton of credit for popping out to the side of the goal line and making that possible. Because if chase on doesn't kick out to the goal, to the goal line, you can't make that tic-tac-toe. The puck's never getting to Horvat because exactly. Miller's not going to be able to slide that puck straight to Horvat you need to go down to chase on first and then back up to Horvat. And that's the sort of play where chase on early in the season. Wasn't like he was just glued in front of uh, the uh, glued in front of the net. And that's why we talked about the power play being so stationary, so stale, so old yeah. and only having like one look to go to. Um, and it's not just that pop play where chase on's a passing presence. It's also, you look at a couple of the goals he scored where, and it's similar to the one where Pod Colson scored the other night too, where Pedersen, because of the threat of his one-timer, when teams are taking that shooting lane away, he'll go with the slap pass. And that's where you need to be able to kick out a little bit and not be right in front of the goalie to present yourself as a passing option for that redirect. And that's where you look at the goal Chase on scored against Arizona recently. Perfect example where... Um, Chase on chose the right moment and it's an art and I think it takes intelligence and that's where we've obviously ragged a lot on chase on on this podcast uh, early in the year and I think early in the year it was chase on wasn't playing well but it feels like the last two or three weeks he's understanding his role uh, particularly on special teams so much better and he deserves a ton of credit because the Canucks need a right shot I think for that uh, first unit to work the way it ideally wants. So otherwise you got five left shots and it can technically work. You can um, make uh, make hay that way, but the Canucks have always shown a tendency to prefer a right shot there, whether it was Toffoli in the past, or I remember early in the, earlier in the 1920 season, they were even experimenting with Levo in the bumper and um, they obviously went to Besser. And, and so Chase on was kind of the only option now with Bester out of the lineup and he hasn't skipped a beat. So a ton of credit there. But I think when you look at the power play as a whole, it's just they've got multiple options going again and it's it's less predictable. And Horvat in the bumper is working. Pedersen is a multi-threat, whether it be with his own shot, whether it be um, using the slap pass. So I think those are everything's just kind of coming together for this group right now on the man advantage. And it's really special to watch. And that's, I think one of the biggest disappointments about the first 25 games was th- this group is too talented. There's way too much talent on the first unit for them to not be lighting the lamp uh, on a consistent basis. Alex chase on four goals in his past six games, eight points in his last six, only 19 points on the season for him. So it shows how hot he's been uh, this past little stretch. And obviously, you brought it up that we have been hard on Chase on in the past. Uh, I'm willing to say I was wrong about Chase on because I, I was saying, oh, you, you don't want to lose Gadjevich. You don't want to lose McEwen for Chase on. But I think in retrospect, especially looking up what those guys are doing in the, at their respective clubs now, um, I know there's there'll be those purists that say McEwen at least fights, and you got to keep him for that reason. But you know, I think I, I think it's safe to say I was I was pretty wrong about Alex Chase on. So. We've determined that the power play is finding more success because they're moving more. And Alex Chason is a big part of that, which is a perfect foreshadowing for our poll question uh, that we'll get to later. But beyond Alex Chason, Quinn Hughes, he, you know, he got sick. Uh, I believe in his last seven games before last night, he had something like two assists or something like that. He had gone a little bit cold by his standards. But when you look at Quinn Hughes' season as a whole... It's been a smashing success. Like, he came in at the start of this year and said, I need to be better defensively. I want to be a lot better defensively than I was last season. And not only did he put up the point totals, like he's uh, he's above 50 points this season, but he also played that exceptional defense. He's killing penalties now. He's doing everything you would expect of a number one franchise defenseman. 100%. And the best part is he's doing it without 
legitimately high-end partner by his side, right? And credit to uh, Luke Shen for how well he's played, and, and I think he's punched above his his weight class and in, in how well he's performed. But you look at someone like Kale McCarr, well, Kale McCarr plays with um, Devin Taves. Devin Taves, on his own right, is a top-pairing stud. Right, so immediately Quinn Hughes is at a significant disadvantage compared to the compared to the other elite uh, defensemen around the NHL, and that's where you look at, as you kind of alluded to, the steps that he's taken in terms of his overall two A form. I mean, think back to last season, and the offensive numbers were there, but he was a tire fire defensively. Like, let's call it for what it is, and I think that really pissed off. Uh, Hughes, I think it motivated a ton, ton in the offseason. And you're seeing uh, a more mature player who's making a lot smarter decisions. Now, to be clear, I mean, it's it's a little bit ironic timing because I don't think he had his best game against uh, Vegas the other night. But on the, on the season, there are a few things that stick out. Number one, his puck management. Um, I mean, it's been very, very rare to see turnovers like the one we saw against uh, Mark Stone the the uh, the other night. When you look at the balance of the season, whereas last season that happened a lot more consistently. You look at he's almost never gotten caught pinch pinching in the offensive zone. That to me is one of the most incredible parts because of how much Hughes likes to create offensively. Uh, how often he likes to activate, jump up in the rush, and even join in on the forecheck on occasion when when the time is right, is he's rarely been caught and left his partner stranded, which again happened from time to time last season. And so his decision making of when to pinch and when to stay at home has his reads have been a lot better. And even when he does get caught a little bit, this is where I, I've been so impressed. His ability to recover has been insane. His, like how quickly he back checks and is able to get on guys' tails and disrupt them, even if even in the very odd um, uh, odd chance that um, he's a step behind, it's been incredible. And I think he's gone a little bit faster in that respect of of how quickly he transitions from offense to defense. He's breaking up plays. I think he's improved as a one on one rush defender. He's just there are a ton of little, little details that I'm noticing with Hughes that he's improved upon. And you're seeing the resounding difference in his shot metrics. The goals against rate at five on five has come way down. And you look at the early results on uh, the penalty kill for Hughes. You're looking at he's spent 79 minutes shorthanded in that time. The Canucks have scored four goals and allowed just six. And in terms of shots and chances against, the numbers are are pretty strong as well. Now, nobody's going to come in here and say that Quinn Hughes is is now a penalty-killing stud and he's going to be the number one PK option, but he's shown that he can legitimately contribute there. And two things kind of stick out to me there. Number one, the other night against Vegas, when Tyler Myers goes to the penalty box, I think it speaks volumes of the trust that Boudreaux and the coaching staff has in Hughes' penalty killing ability now that Hughes was first over the boards. Like, imagine the stakes in that situation. Ten minutes left in the game. Must win contest against this Vegas team that's been pushing hard in that third period. Playoff lives out in line. And you've got Quinn Hughes first over the boards ready to kill a penalty. Could you have imagined telling yourself that? Last season, when we were talking about how much of, of a defensive uh, tire fire he he was, yeah, exactly. And it just speaks to how much Hughes has evolved. And the reason he kills well is because he anticipates so well his quickness and being able to win loose pucks. And when he when he does get possession, it's it's out of the zone right away. And even in, even in that situation, even with Myers in the box, Boudreaux could have gone to Luke Shen. He could have easily gone OEL Luke Shen, but no, he goes OEL Quinn Hughes. And especially with someone like Shen who has those attributes of a veteran and uh, and and he's heavy down low and he can clear out the front of the net and he's got a ton of PK experience and he's battle tested in, in high leverage, high pressure situations. But Boudreaux goes, no, it's, it's fine. We're down Myers that I'm fine with rolling Quinn Hughes. And so that, that sort of thing is... I think speaks to his evolution of now he's more than just an offensive defenseman. And I don't think people around the league recognize that. I think his season has really gone under the radar. And I think I'm sure for him personally that uh, I know in having spoken to him that 
he carries a chip on his shoulder from the perception of his size and his defensive ability. And I know that it must mean a lot for him to have this level of defensive trust and to be taking these strides that he has in his own zone. And so it's just been brilliant uh, to watch. And, and my biggest thing is, man, I just can't wait to see how he looks uh, if and when the Canucks are able at some point to get him a legit top pair partner, because that's when I think you could see this game really take the next step. And, and it won't just be, oh, he's dominating uh, quietly at that point. I want to see Quinn Hughes and Norris conversations because I think he's that caliber of player. I really think he can contend for Norris trophies in a year in, uh, in a year in year out basis. If Adam Fox and Kale McCarr can do it, I absolutely think Quinn Hughes has it in him to take that next step if he's elevated with the right partner to contend. And it's just been so impressive to see the steps he's taken this season. So we'll have a lot of these conversations as we approach the offseason and in the offseason. But would you say that's priority number one? Get Quinn Hughes a proper defensive partner? It is, but I just I don't think it's possible realistically this offseason. I think that's the sort of piece where... I mean, if you're going to, well, I should, I should take that back. You could end up being able to acquire that piece. He just won't be ready. He'll be a, he'll in all likelihood be a prospect, right? And that's where if you move a piece like a JT Miller or or a Brock Besser or Connor Garland and you get back a, a right-handed defense prospect and whether it's uh, a Braden Schneider type who the Rangers at the deadline, I don't think we're willing to part ways with, or uh, obviously at the uh, trade deadline, I think Justin Barron went to Montreal, if I'm not mistaken, in the Arturia like in trade, or or maybe maybe if a team like LA is interested, you're able to pry a Brock Faber type. It'd have to be a prospect defenseman. Is is the point I'm trying to make? I don't think yeah. like the top pair right handed D who defend who defend well, who are young, locked up, cost controllable. No team's going to trade that. Exactly. I'm sorry, even even with how valuable someone like a JT Miller or or uh, a Brock Besser would be no, no. I, I just can't see a team willing to give up um, that kind of asset. Teams always value uh, uh, wingers over defensemen. I guess you could make the case that with Miller, maybe teams would be able to kind of see him as a center, given how much he's played down the middle of the season, and maybe that enhances his value. But Miller's only got a year left on his contract. He's not. If if Miller was cost controllable. And he was locked up at five, whatever, for three years left. Then, then maybe, but with only a year left, I, and and given how, given his age, I I think it's going to be tough to acquire that sort of long term partner. Maybe you end up in a scenario where you get, say, someone who's a, a second pair defenseman yeah. on True Talent, but next to Hughes, he can he can be a good top pair guy. But if you're talking about someone who you'd look at on paper independent of Quinn Hughes and be like, that guy's a top pairing right-handed stud. I don't think you're getting that piece in the off season yeah. unless he's a prospect. Yeah. And that was literally what I was going to ask you next is just like, well, are you comfortable then going in with Luke Shen next year? Because that's a six, seven defenseman that you're asking to play uh first pairing minutes. So I would say they need to go out and get a bandaid solution. And they also yes. need to keep their eye on that long-term uh prospect as you just alluded to okay we'll cut to break so you know what that means you get to hear Faber's voice on the episode folks uh and then we will get to our poll question so keep it locked keep it loaded on canucks conversation and before we go any further into the episode want to give a shout out to parallel 49 brewing you guys can find parallel 49 beer all across bc and alberta and right now we want to give a quick shout out to the unparalleled pack featuring four of the p49 favorites the trash panda the filthy dirty the jerk face 9000 and the hillbilly ninja my favorite of the four there the jerk face 9000 the pink can Something good about those cans there at Parallel 49. So go out and try them. You can find them in most liquor stores across BC and Alberta. And a massive thank you to Parallel 49 Brewing Company for sponsoring the podcast. And of course, to Chris doing an ad read for us, as always. Our episode 253 poll question brought to you by Atlas Goods. Folks, check out atlasgds.com. And use promo code CC15 for 15% off your first order of some of those delicious pop rinds, fresh pork rinds, right out of your microwave or air fryer. 
absolutely delicious. Go check them out. Locally owned company that supports us. So we'd like if you supported them as well. AtlasGDS.com. Use promo code CC15. Our poll question today, who has the highest ceiling? Option one, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, Alex Chason, and as always, I'm angry. Harmon, so far, 68% of the vote going to Elias Pettersson, 16% say Quinn Hughes, 11% say Alex Chason, and 5% of people are just angry. Alex Chason, baby, no. <laughs> um, and that I, was, say- I, I give you credit. That was your idea to put that in, and it was a great idea. Yeah, I, I, mean, said, I was like, uh, let's put Tyler Myers in, and you said, no, how about Alex Chason? Let's show him some love, man. Power play it. one stud. Yep. Bruce Boudreau was talking about he should be one of the NHL stars of the yeah, week. Yeah, Bruce wanted him to be a star of the week, and Bruce is not wrong. He's not wrong. He's absolutely production. right. Yep, numbers do not lie. Okay, so your answer to this question. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question because it sort of depends on your definition of uh, high ceiling as well. If you're talking about strictly best at position, in terms of if you're ranking the top centers in the game and the top defensemen in the league, Pedersen versus Hughes, who's going to land higher in their respective positional battle? For me, I lean towards Hughes just because, again, I don't think we've seen the, I don't think we've, we've come close to seeing Hughes' full potential because the last couple of years he's been cycling through partners like Hamannick and, and, uh, and Pullman and Shen and has kind of just not had that high end partner that we've talked about. And I think that makes such a big difference. Because that sort of player is, is, you're essentially tied to the hip with them. I, I mean, imagine if Elias Pettersson um, spent most of uh, spent most of his season with one of his line mates, just like Jason Dickinson, tied to his hip. We'd be talking about well, we haven't seen him with enough uh, offensively talented line mates to really see his potential, and so I think that really looms large. And when you think about the one year where. Obviously, Hughes did have the high-end partner was Chris Tanev, right? And that was his rookie year, and he was playing matchup minutes against the opposition's best. And he was right there in the rookie race. He was right up there with McCarr and and Fox. And that was just him as a rookie. As a 19, 20-year-old first-year pro, imagine 24-year-old Quinn Hughes with a stud two-way defenseman who can be a defensive safety net after Hughes has gotten years and years of experience under his belt. He's gotten bigger and stronger. He's gotten wiser. I think it's it's easier, especially because when it comes to centers, I just think the competition is so tough for uh, Pedersen to be, say, a top-five center in the game because you've got McDavid, who is a generational player. You've got Matthews, who scored 50 goals in his last 50 games, got McKinnon and it just feels like you know you've obviously got still got Crosby kicking around it just seems like there are so many so much more competition when it comes to centers and it just naturally feels like irrespective of of position the best players usually tend to be centers so I think there it's it's a tougher path for let's say if you're ranking top 10 centers top 10 defensemen for I think it's an easier path for Hughes to to be, say, a top three or top five defenseman in his prime compared to Pedersen being a top three or top five center. And having said that, I think I have a philosophy, I have a take on the value of forwards and defensemen and why I generally tend to believe that forwards are more valuable than defensemen and, and tend to have a, a larger impact on the game. There are two parts of hockey, right? Obviously, offense, defense. Defensemen aren't the most influential players for either one of those, right? Who's who's the most valuable position in driving offense? Forwards, right? They're the ones that get the most puck touches. They're the first line creating offense. That's that's their job. Who's the most important position for defense? It's goaltenders. For as much as a defensive environment can help uh, paper over in, in reducing shots and chances. We all know if you have an elite defensive team, but a terrible goalie, it's, there's no point. We've seen it with Bruce Boudreau in Minnesota in all those years. They never had a goalie. We saw it with, um, obviously, the Canucks uh, way back in the West Coast Express days where look at how good their team was all around. They just couldn't find the goalie. And, of course, you look at the Canucks in years past, how valuable players like Markstrom and Demko have been. 
and um, goalies are, are the most valuable position for driving defensive results. So defensemen are kind of second in the pecking order for, for driving both offense and defense. And so I think that's generally my theory on why centers and, and a player like Pedersen's ultimately going to have more value where you can have a debate. Hughes might end up being the better player. Again, when you rank them positionally uh, in best best defensemen, best uh, uh, best centers, but I always tend to believe that forwards and especially centers just have such a profound impact. I mean, you look at it right from the drop of the puck with with the faceoffs and um, how important they are in zone exits, zone entries, and um, how much they can control the game from a two hundred foot perspective. I just think that. Um, Pedersen is the sort of piece, and we saw it in 2018-19, just adding one piece. If you just add like that one guy, how much that can do in changing the offensive picture, even on the power play, right? You look at the role that Hughes has, and, and Hughes is really important, but as a defenseman, your job is just as a facilitator. It's walk the line, it's uh, help on entries, it's uh, facilitate and just distribute the puck, a player like Pedersen has way more of an impact in terms of not only the plays that he's creating, creating, and you look at uh, what he did on on Pod Colson's goal, but even just as I talk about this a lot, as as gravity, right? Where penalty kills have to respect you, and it's a lot like the NBA, where if you have an elite shooting threat from the outside, um, in the NBA, teams have to respect that, and it means more space on the floor for for your other players. It's the same sort of concept with someone like Pedersen versus Hughes. So I know I'm ta- I might be taking this way too philosophically and, and going off on, on a bit of a tangent here, um, but that's where, I, to, to distill it down, I think Hughes can be better when you rank him, when you rank each player by position, and, um, and, and I think Hughes has an easier path to being one of the top defensemen in the game compared to Pedersen being one of the elite centers in the game. But in having said that, I still think that Pedersen can be the more valuable player just because a franchise center can impact a game in so many ways that a defenseman can't. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's a really interesting perspective, an interesting theory that you so have. So one, one example I wanted to bring up was you look at Nashville. Four elite number one defensemen in uh, when they were uh, a contender, right? When they had Yossi and, and peak P.K. Subban. They had Ekholm. They had... Ryan Ellis, four elite guys that all on their own accord could be considered top 10, at least top 20 defensemen in the league. They didn't have the elite offensive forwards. They never got the job done in the playoffs. Yeah. So there you go. And then you compare that to a team like Jim Rutherford's Pittsburgh Penguins. They uh, they had the elite centers, Crosby Malkin down the middle, and they never had a great back end. And especially in the second year, they won a Stanley Cup without Chris Letang. It was a ragtag group of... Of defensemen there, and obviously Justin Schultz that year was phenomenal, but he didn't. They they didn't have anywhere near and close to a championship caliber back end, and they still won it. So that's why I tend to just overall think that franchise franchise forwards, um, like Pedersen potentially is, if he can take the next step, uh, can be so valuable. Yeah, we have a write in vote here, uh, and it's for someone that I am very happy to say the name of, and it's Tyler Myers. Someone oh my wrote God. in. Uh, I'll read your name. Give me a moment here. Okay, so Charles Godin wrote in and said the real answer is Tyler Myers. How much did you pay I, him? I bet his home has 20-foot ceilings. Get it? Because yeah, our question no, was who has the highest ceiling? I actually thought about that <laughs> as we were writing it. I was like, someone's going to make a take this literally and make a height joke, aren't they? Phenomenal job, Charles. That, that made me laugh. Is that just your burner? Nope, it's not. <laughs> not, I'm not patting myself on the back for that one. I, I can't take credit. Although it looks like in his profile picture, he's wearing a Texas Rangers hat. So he loses some points for that. But it's still a good tweet, nonetheless. Okay, that was our poll question. Remember to check out Atlas Goods, atlasgds.com, and use promo code CC15 for Pop Ryan's. Now, Harmon, this win over the Vegas Golden Knights, when we look at the Vancouver Canucks playoff chances, this game on Tuesday night, was a must-win for both teams. Like, Vegas in their room was saying, this is a must-win. They activate Mark Stone uh, ahead of the game. They get their captain back off LTIR. They activate him for the game. Now, the Canucks get two points, but they give up one point to Vegas. 
How much do you... I know it's hard to predict because we just don't know how the final eight games are going to play out, but how badly did the Canucks need to win that game in regulation? It was important, and not just for the point of Vegas, but if you look at a team like uh, like Dallas, you want the tiebreaker in terms of regulation wins. So that way, if you are obviously tied at the end of the year, it gives you that... Uh, that advantage, whether it's Dallas or even a team like LA, that is kind of sliding uh, out of the picture a little bit. They won LA one last night, but I think before that they'd been losing three or four games, and they've obviously been without Drew Doughty. And I think that's undercover what what a lot of people have maybe been talking about. But then I look at LA's schedule, and they've got Colorado next, and after that, it just their schedule is so easy. So it's tough from that perspective. I mean, Vegas is tough. I think. The Canucks picked up, I think, if you look at their season or the, the last three games as a whole, uh, against them over the last 10 days or so, the Canucks picked up five of six, po- six possible points, I think it was. But Vegas still picked up three points, I think. And I think it's not necessarily that this loss, um, that missing out on being able to pick up the regulation win on this one uh, is, uh, is a massive blow. But it's those three, I think, overall, when you look at the big picture and Vegas picking up three points, that's where it's like, okay, like if that had been one instead, for instance, or uh, or obviously in an ideal world, it would have been zero. But I think that's where they pick, they found, Vegas found ways to pick up points in multiple games. And I think that's, that's what kind of kills you rather than just this one specific game where Vegas took it to OT. You know who has a quietly difficult schedule is the Edmonton Oilers. I don't know if you've looked ahead at their schedule. The Oilers, after winning six or seven straight games, actually, seven straight games they had won, they've lost two in a row. And one was a shootout loss, so they still pick up a point. But that came against the Colorado Avalanche. They lose 5-1 against the Minnesota Wild. Now they go play Nashville. They've got the Golden Knights, then the Stars, then the Avs again. They'll have one game against the Blue Jackets, but then it's Penguins, Sharks, Canucks to close out their season. I understand the Sharks are not a great team and that they can probably hang with the Penguins, but this is a tough schedule for the Edmonton Oilers. And there's all this talk of the Canucks running the table and like, oh, oh, what happens if they do that? Like, you have to expect that some of these teams, especially if the Canucks are going to go on some sort of heater and only lose like one more game for the rest of the year, some of these teams are going to lose more games than we think. Right now... Edmonton sits ahead of the Canucks in eight points in the standings. That's a tough schedule coming up for Edmonton. I wouldn't be surprised to see Edmonton only pick up two or three wins of the games I just mentioned. I still think eight points is too many to, to catch up on with just eight games left. You're probably right, but I just wanted to point it out that the schedule is sure. a lot tougher than people realize for the Oilers. Yeah, I mean, stranger things have happened. I'm, I'm, I mean, it's not... It's possible. I just... I, I don't think it's realistic, to be totally honest with you, especially with how well Edmonton's been playing recently. I know they lost the last couple, but since Jay Woodcroft took over, mm-hmm. that team's been tighter defensively. Brett Kulak has been a huge addition for them in stabilizing the back end. The power play has started to roll again. And when you have McDavid and Drysaddle, it's just it, it's really tough to bet against them, especially... I just don't see it. To be totally honest with you, I I, I don't see it. I think they're going to have to catch one of LA um, or uh, or Dallas here, and, and they're obviously going to have to leapfrog Vegas as well. I I mean, maybe maybe you, you pray and you hope, but I, I just don't see Edmonton as a realistic um, team to be thinking of, hey, we can catch them. Kings have played one more game than the Canucks at the time of this recording. Uh, Canucks are at 82 points. Kings are at 88, and obviously for playoff seeding purposes, the Canucks would love to have that third spot in the Pacific because that would mean a first-round matchup uh, in all in all likely, most likely, what the hell am I trying to say? In all likelihood <laughs> against the Edmonton Oilers in the first round. If they take Dallas' spot, it's Colorado in the first round. So uh, you just asked Daryl Sutter which one you'd rather have out of those two. Okay. We have some awards to give out, Harmon. And actually, we're not going to give them out yet. I did want to tell people about them, though. They are the Canucks Army Reader's Choice Awards, and they're up now. Uh, you can go check it out at CanucksArmy.com. There's a, bun- there's a bunch of links in there. Uh, one is to the SurveyMonkey 
uh, website that I've made with the uh, the survey. And what it is, is I want you to pick, you go through, you answer our 10 question survey, and you're going to pick an MVP. You're going to tell us who your favorite prospects to read about uh, are, your most exciting player on the team this year, the best defenseman, the UFA you'd most like to see the team re-sign, the most underrated player, players who you like reading quotes from the most, favorite series at Canucks Army, and who you'd most like to have a drink or play around with golf with. Uh, someone brought this up the other night. I saw it on Twitter. Imagine playing around with JT Miller, like around a golf, and it's oh not going God. well for him. Oh, God. Yeah, you'd have to start using your clubs, and you wouldn't even be I'm, able to say no. I'm a naturally calm person, and the first time I played golf, it was frustrating. I don't, I do not get easily pissed off. I like rarely, like, I'm such an even keel person, and and playing for the first time, I I was I was like, this is killing me. Like, but I also loved it because when then when you hit a great shot, it's the best feeling in the world. But then now I'm imagining someone like JT Miller who like just naturally tilts towards being towards wearing his heart in his sleeve and <laughs> being. Uh, and 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 living uh, living on the edge of the sword there, and I can't even imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine it because I've seen guys on the course that uh, I anticipate would be like JT Miller on the course on the golf course. Do you remember there was a few? It was a few years ago. Someone posted a video of JT Miller swinging a golf club, and I'm pretty sure he was swinging with his wrong hand. Oh yeah. yeah. Do you remember this video? Because it looked awful. Like they were at a driving range while they were on the road. And it looked like he had never swung a golf club before. And I was like, like hockey players like to play golf, yeah. but like you have that natural, like for me, when I swung a golf club for the first time, I swung it like a baseball bat. Like I went, I sliced down at the ball rather than coming around it. Like you're supposed to when yeah. you golf. So I had to fix that, but I could still get pretty good. I was gonna say pretty good wood. I could get pretty good hits off. Like, yeah. They were good shots, but they would slice a lot, and there was all these other sorts of problems that I had with my golf swing. But I'm saying there's no way a hockey player can't swing a golf club like that. Like it had to be, yeah. Wrong oh, hand it had right? to be. It had to be. He, he, he plays. I know he plays golf. Okay, good. I know he plays golf. So <laughs> yeah, that that definitely. I'm, I'm curious, who would you pick for? Uh, whether a group it's before. Uh, well, no, either one guy on the team that you could play around to golf with, or just sit down and, and have a drink with? Uh, I'd probably say... Don't pick Tyler Myers, please. No, I'm not going to. I'd probably say Thatcher Demko. Okay. Yeah, um, I know that's pick. on brand, but but Thatcher Demko is like quietly very funny. And I, right, I feel like we'd yeah. have a lot of fun. I also, you know, I also think he's probably one of the smartest guys on the team, like in terms of intelligence. Right, yeah. Uh, I think we all kind of... I think that's kind of... Uh, the uh, common belief throughout the media is that uh, Demko is probably the smartest. So I'd probably say him. I'd probably say Luke Shen as well. Right. Yeah. Luke Shen would just be an absolute delight to be around. Uh, and then, you know what? Just because I'm assuming Faber would be with me, I'll save a silly pod Colson as well. Hell yeah. Yeah. How about you? I think it's, it's funny. I thought Quinn for a second because I don't know. I've, I've, I've chatted with him before, just kind of seeing each other in the hall or on the road or whatever. And, and he's, such a low key down to earth guy and he it's been it's good to have conversation with him but i also think that he's a little bit i don't i don't want to say boring is the right word but <laughs> he's, he's like really laid back yeah and um i'm sure i'd love talking to him but at the same time i lean towards miller i i feel like i i've always come away just like loving every conversation i've had with him or Fair. every interview and he is, he's interestingly introspective in the right situations, but he's hilarious. And I just love the high energy sort of, um, I guess, persona he has. So I feel like, I feel like you should have a great, great night out with JT Miller. So, <laughs> and to be clear, that's out for a drink or a dinner, not a round of golf. Yes. <laughs> a round of golf, a round of golf. I'd take Quinn for sure. Cause yeah. I, I like that. I think that would be, a, I think that would be the perfect spot. Just like laid back. You have something to do. And in that situation, just, just make conversation hundred percent. All right. Okay, so that was uh, our, our some of our picks for the Canucks Army uh, Reader's Choice Award. So go check it out now at CanucksArmy.com. Uh, if you do the survey and then you comment on the article that you did the survey, you're entered in to win a free Nation Gear shirt. That includes our Bruce There It Is shirt. It includes our IKEA-style uh, EP40 
collection that we've got going at Canucks Army uh, and at nationgear.ca. So go check it out, canucksarmy.com, Canucks Army Reader's Choice Awards. Harmon, before we close out here, we've got about 10 minutes to go. You wanted to talk about Vasily Podkolzin. I feel like a lot of people are talking about him right now, and rightfully so. He's been electric in these games, and when we talked to Bruce Boudreaux last week about when it started to become apparent that Podkolzin was really starting to control play and really starting to control games... Bruce said he's getting a little unlucky right now, but in a year's time, those are going to be all going in for him. And I know you and I made the joke based on Pud Colson's usage when Bruce first got here that Bruce saw a young Russian and was like, that's my Alex Ovechkin. <laughs> um, and, and, and that kind of went away a bit. Like we, we, saw 100%. His, we saw his usage really drop off, not used on the power play, all that sort of stuff. But uh, uh, Bruce saying that Pod Colson's gaining confidence and in turn, he's gaining confidence in Pod Colson. Your thoughts on Vasily Pod Colson's play as of late? Yeah, I think really it just comes down to the longer leash and the trust, the opportunity. And and my biggest thing is I always try and put myself in a player's shoes and, and try and think about what where their headspace is probably at, what they're going through. And I think when you look at a player like Pod Colson, I've brought this up so many times, so I, I won't go through the whole spiel again, but mm-hmm. we've... We've mentioned how his circumstance as a prospect coming up was a lot different than most, right? Most prospects come up playing for their junior team, U.S. national team development program, or or maybe they go early to, to college in the NCAA, and, and they're immediately one of the top players on the team. They're playing first line. They're playing power play, PK, all situations, and they're used to being one of the best players on their team. They have a ton of rope. They have a ton of opportunity, and with Pod Coles and, and Ska in the KHL, he just didn't have that chance here's a guy who you talk to people you talk to people in russia other executives over there people who know pod colson well and they'd be like yeah pod colson would be playing and he's afraid of making mistakes because he's on a fourth line with with other grinders playing seven eight nine minutes a night and he's worried that if he makes a mistake he's going to get benched or scratched and that is and I remember going into this season talking about, well, that's why he probably won't score as much in his rookie season as Hoaglander did is because his mindset is going to be different of, of, of what it takes to acclimate to an NHL environment. Whereas you look at a Hoaglander and immediately he came in and it was, it was like, there's no pressure, pressure situation. And I'm just going to play my game. I'm going to take, take chances. I'm going to make mistakes and that's fine. Whereas Pod Colson, I feel like is uh, the sort of player who you look at that environment in Russia is probably deathly afraid of making any mistakes of any turnover. And Bruce talked about that too. The other day is he takes it really hard on himself when he makes a mistake. And so when he get, and so when he comes over here to, to Vancouver, he's trying to become accustomed to the smaller ice surface. He's trying to make a first impression on Travis green or trust. And then the coaching change happens and though, and then, Oh, I've got a new coach that I've got to make a first impression on. And I'm still playing fourth line minutes and I'm not playing power play. And it's easy, I think, as a player in that situation to your first task is I've got to get the coach to trust me. Number one, if I'm a player in that situation, I don't even care about how much offense or how many points or whatever. I'm going shift in, shift out. I'm going to play mistake free hockey because without the opportunity, without the leash, I can't try anything anyway. I'm just going to end up in this constant loop that Hoaglander has ended up in. Uh, under Boudreaux where create offense, show flashes, but make mistakes, get benched, don't don't play in third periods. And so I think what's sort of happened here is Pod Colson's gotten the bigger opportunity and he's gone the longer leash and he's been able to take that pressure off of Imagine going over the boards every shift and you're deathly afraid of making a mistake. And you, if you make a mistake, you're on the bench, you're going you're gonna to be walking on eggshells playing. And it feels like that pressure has lifted off of Pod Coles and shoulders. And because he's gotten more reps and he understands uh, the game so much better. I remember at the start of the season, his spatial awareness wasn't quite there because he was just wasn't used to the North American rink size of, let's say he gets the puck on the boards on the breakout. He is immediately trying to go glassing out or he's he's not sure how quickly a pinching defenseman might be coming in on him or what the options are. Now it feels like as soon as the puck get, comes to pod coals and in the boards or in the defensive zone, he immediately instinctually understands the system and knows where his teammates are going to be. And this is such an important process is 
when you get the puck as a winger or in any situation, you've got to know what your you've got to know what you're going to do with the puck before you get it. And I think with Pod Colson, he was still getting used to things earlier in the year, and now he know Pod Colson just instinctually knows, and that's why you're seeing him have the confidence to make plays. And we saw Boudreaux mention that part as well. Is He's got the confidence now to carry the puck a little bit more to make the odd toe drag and, and try and take a guy on in the neutral zone in the right spot. And uh, that's one element that I love is is his involvement with the puck and having more time with it on his stick. And, and he's also driving the net a ton and creating a lot of chances. And when you talk about him being able to bury those it's a lot easier to figure out, okay, how do I finish chances once I'm in tight compared to, well, how do I get to the front of the net yeah. and create those chances in the first place? And I think because of Pod Colson's robust physical tools, he's always going to be able to fight and will his way to the front of the net. I mean, I think back to someone like Zach Hyman in Toronto. He'd create tons and tons of chances in front of the net. Never one of the worst finishers in the NHL. Over, or, You gave him two or three years, he figured it out. And all of a sudden, now he now he's a guy who consistently scores at a twenty to thirty goal rate over eighty two games. And so, when I look at especially, there were three chances he had where he drove the net the other night. And and one habit or tendency I noticed was that he gets in a little bit too deep, runs out of space, and then doesn't really have an opportunity to get to get a proper shot off. That's something you can fix. That's something you can work on with a skills coach uh, in the off season and. And again, maybe part of it is because the rank size is a little bit different and you have different offensive habits, but I think that's something you can fix. And I think Boudreaux's right in that uh, you'll see him uh, improve on that uh, as he progresses and matures. But it's been awesome to see the confidence just growing as he's just able to make more plays. And against Vegas, just felt like he was creating a scoring chance on almost every shift. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but I'll go first. If you have to predict the raw point total, for Vasily Podkolz in next year. What are you saying? Because for me, and I'll go first, I'm going to say if we're setting the over-under at 40, I think that's where you should set it is 40. I say he reaches over 40. Do you think he's under 40 or over that? I think he's under, only because I think I still think it's going to take him time. And I've never looked at Podkolz as a guy who's going to put up a ton of point totals. And, and I've mentioned this so many times. I think his value is going to come in so many different areas in terms of in terms of his power forward frame, how he drives two way play, and um, eventually he'll learn to kill penalties. And he's going to be a player who's way more valuable than his point totals. And I just think I see him as a player who is obviously at some point in his career going to be someone who consistently notches well over forty points. I just don't know if that's going to immediately happen in his sophomore season. I think we're going to see him take a huge step next season. I don't know if that's necessarily going to be 40 plus points, especially because the reason I, I say I say that is because it it takes a lot of time to learn. Well, sorry, let me let me rephrase that to score over 40 points. You're going to need to be a consistent power play producer. And I still think that in terms of the special teams, there's a lot of room for him to sort of earn the opportunity and, and, and get good at that. I mean, the goal he scored the other night was his first career power play goal right so i think it's still going to take him a lot of time to be a consistent special teams producer and until you're a consistent special teams producer it's so tough to be a 40 40 plus point guy i mean look at connor garland right he's he's going to barely hit the over on 40 points and here's a guy who is an elite five on five producer who is his last i checked second on the team in five and five points he leads the team in in five and five assists and on a per hour basis he's one of the top forwards in the nhl in five and five production and yet he's he's not he's going to score maybe 45 points so for that reason i still i just think it's going to take particles and time to learn the power play and for that reason i would set uh i would take the under on 40 points i think I'd guess something closer to what I'd hope is something closer to 15, 15 goals, 30 points. I think mm. if you combine that with the, with the two-way steps he can take, I think that's a huge success. And I also think Pod Colson is the type of player who you're going to see a slow um, multi-year progression into peak Pod Colson. I don't think he's the sort of player that you look at next season and you're going to be like, well, this is peak Pod Colson and he's hit his ceiling. I think you're going to see a slow burn and, it's going to take him closer to being 25, 24, 25, where you really look at him as a player who's putting up a ton of points and 
um, is delivering all of that all around uh, uh, value. It'd be nice if Faber were here to be the tiebreaker. I don't want to speak for him. But I'm guessing he'd say over 40 as well. But he's always optimistic. I mean, he... <laughs> Faber loves him some. I mean, well, I like that about him. I, I like that he's optimistic. It's nice to have that positivity. Yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. Maybe maybe someone can set up like a reminder or whatever in, in a year and, and we'll yeah, see. We'll I hope back. to be wrong. I would love to be wrong because um, there's so many things about Pod and I love. And just to even hear Miller the other day and Horvat talk about his talk about his habits. And, mm-hmm. and here's a guy who is just a pro already in terms of his work ethic, practice habits, how much time he spends in the gym. He's just such a good kid. He's just, and you root for guys like that, totally. down to earth, humble, just like put the work in, no ego, no attitude, and just team first all the time. And that's and that's why sometimes he doesn't score as many points, especially at, uh, in in lower ranks before, is because he Pod Colson is the first player to sacrifice individual offense for the betterment of the team to block a shot to back check. And that's the type of guy that you win with in the playoffs. So I would love, I would love to be wrong about Pod Colson in the over under there. I think regardless, he's going to be a fantastic player for years to come, and I'm super excited to see how he evolves over the years. Absolutely. Okay. Before we close out, Elias Pettersson really takes over that game in the second period. Phenomenal performance. The thing that I always or that I kept looking at was the four four two goal, the fourth goal they scored, um, where he set up Brad Richardson. Just the ability to read that that puck was going to Petrangelo and to step up and knock it down. Like that's vintage Elias Pettersson to me. Like my headline in the post game I wrote was vintage Pettersson takes over. I haven't seen Elias Pettersson play a stretch of hockey this well since the twenty nineteen twenty season. To be totally honest with you, since maybe the bubble. And that is so exciting because when you watched him in the 1920 season, that was when you thought, hey, he may not be a guy that scores 110 points a season. But if he can be a guy that puts up 80 to 90 points in a season and has that Datsuk level two way impact on games, that's a top 10 center in the NHL. And that is an incredibly special player to watch in terms of being a player that doesn't just take over offensively, but in terms of his defensive game, driving play. And that's what we've really seen from Pedersen recently. And the thing that sticks out about me, and you reference the Richardson goal, and I think it's a perfect example, is Pedersen right now as a playmaker is seeing the play that nobody is prepared to defend. And what I mean by that is on the power play, Pedersen gets the puck, he loads up like he's going for a one-timer. Everyone thinks he's going to shoot that puck. The defender's ready to take the shooting lane away. Well, what does Patterson do? He hits the slap pass, pod calls, and boom, back of the net. Nobody's ready to defend that play. You look in in previous games, uh, the same thing happened, I, I think, when he set up a chase-on goal. It was a similar sort of sequence. I don't know if it was maybe the one-timer or if it was just a regular sort of redirect, but... Just seeing the play that nobody is prepared to defend and just playing 4D chess on two-on-ones. And this is one thing I've, we've noticed twice now is when you have a two-on-one with Elias Pettersson, Brad Richardson, everyone would expect Pettersson to shoot. Everyone. I, as Pettersson was rushing the puck up, was thinking to myself, Elias, just shoot the damn puck. Just don't... I, I, I was thinking to myself... The last thing I wanted to see was Patterson make the pass across and Richardson flub it, unless it's a guaranteed sort of tap in. And but here's the thing: Patterson knows that. Patterson, this is where he thinks the game at a different level at everybody. He knows that everybody watching, everybody in the stands, all the coaches, Bruce Boudreau is probably on the bench thinking, "Boy, I hope you you know how." Boudreaux is yeah. always like shoot first, coach. Boudreaux is probably on the bench thinking, "Man, I hope Lee's Patterson Patterson shoots this." But Pedersen knows that's how everybody in the building is seeing the game. That He knows that's how Robin Leonard is seeing it. That's how the player defending the rush is seeing it. Ben Hutton. Ben Hutton. <laughs> and so he goes, okay, I'm going to use that to my advantage. And as everyone is playing for the shot, I'm going to pass it across. And it's brilliant because against Arizona, the exact same thing happened. Two on O, Pedersen and Chase on. You're hoping in that situation or you're expecting as a goaltender, if you're laying money, that Pedersen's going to be the one to take the shot. 
And obviously, eventually, Pedersen did end up being the one to score. But 2-0, Pedersen makes the initial pass across to Chase on. And that's where credit to Chase on for giving it back to Pedersen for, for the given go there. But again, everyone everyone thinks that Pedersen's going to shoot in that spot. And Pedersen just sees the play that nobody is ready to, to defend. And I think that's why hockey IQ is just this one gift that Pedersen has that is is unbelievable i i've i don't on this roster i don't see a canuck on this team who sees the ice the way patterson does i just don't right because a player like miller dominates with his physical tools with his size with his um skating and he also has great vision but nobody i think queen hughes is the closest but even even there hughes has that skating ability that's such a differentiator for me it's just patterson when he plays like this and thinks a game's thinks a game like this, it's it's artful and it's just been such a treat to watch and and it's 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 what makes you go to the building, right? It's it's the reason you go and, and buy tickets is man, I want to say see Pedersen playing like this. It it makes you tune in. He's he becomes a must watch player when he's playing the way he is right now, and it's just so special after what he's gone through and you just hope that he can carry the momentum into next season and that he can take this confidence and take that next step, right? Because now it's about the consistency. Now it's about, let's see him have this big breakout year. Yeah, exactly. Over 30 points in his last 23 games. Those are superstar numbers that you'd like to see him uh, keep up over a whole season. We'll close it out there. Uh, Obviously, Harmon, thank you for joining us. Faber, we can't wait to have you back, man. Uh, To the listeners, thank you for listening. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate it. For my co-host, Harmon Dial, my name is David Quadrelli. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Canucks Conversation. Thanks for listening to Canucks Conversation. Delivered by DoorDash. Hit the subscribe button to never miss an episode. How about keep it to a thank you, Jim? Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.